Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello to our good friends in the UK and in Ireland who continue to take the show live their time, noon, whatever that time zone is. I don't know. London time. We appreciate Chris, who is watching the show in the UK. Greenwich Mean Time is the time zone. We reported earlier in the program, based upon our source who lives there, Chris, that it is Greenwich Mean Time. That sparked a debate on Twitter as to whether it's Greenwich Mean Time or British Summertime. I think the only way we can thread this needle and move on with our lives is to say it's Greenwich Mean Time, but... It's British summertime in the Greenwich Mean Time time zone. That's the best I can do. <laughs> you never quite know which direction a given show is going to take. <laughs> Yesterday's show took a, a bunch of different directions. There was only one of those directions we could share at the top of the show, but Chris is back. I'm happy to report Chris is back. He continues to be employed. His mouth has been washed out with soap like Ralphie from a Christmas story. Hello, Chris. How are you today? Hello, everybody. Yes. Hi, Mike. How you doing? I do apologize to everybody out there, especially the young kids. Anybody that hasn't heard a, a bad word like that, it just slipped. People, you'd understand if you had to talk to this damn guy that I got to talk to every day, this Mike Florio. It'd drive you crazy every now and then. <laughs> you had to kick your filter in again right there. You, you, I did. You I almost went off. There. You're right. Well I done. Did. Well done. <laughs> thank, thank you. We'll keep, we'll keep working on you. I'll keep tempting you. I'll keep tempting you and pushing you to make sure that that filter is back in place, or at least whatever it is thank that you. you've ever had for a filter. I'm not so sure you have much of a filter, but whatever you have for a filter – is back in place and we can continue because we tripped over something last night while we were having our conversations via text message about the plans for the show. 
And last night, I got around to writing something that our friends at JoeBucksFan.com had alerted me to earlier in the day, and it actually may have been Sunday night. Comments from Sean Payton, the Saints coach, during the draft-a-thon, which was the NFL digital companion to the draft coverage on ESPN because NFL Network didn't have its own separate draft production this year due to the pandemic. NFL.com and the various digital platforms had a draft-a-thon, and they had a bunch of different people at any one time. I think I saw six or eight or four, just like all sorts of combinations of people on the screen at the same time. And at one point, Sean Payton was having a conversation, and I think it was with Brandon Marshall, the former NFL receiver, regarding the extent to which Payton is concerned about the presence of Tom Brady in the NFC South as a member now of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Does it make Payton concerned about a Buccaneers team that in recent years the Saints and really no one else has had reason to be concerned about? And here's what Payton said, and I think this is an important revelation about how people within the NFL view the other team's in the league. I say this in all seriousness, Peyton said. There's only about 10 or 11 relevant teams. 10 or 11 relevant teams. When someone like Tom Brady comes to Tampa, it's not just the quarterback position. The thing is a coach in the division that concerns you is you know just the standards going to change in Tampa, and I think that's a credit to the really, really, really special players. So what he's saying here is, Two things. Well, three things. One, there are only 10 or 11 relevant teams at any given time in the NFL. Two, in his mind, Tampa Bay was not one of those relevant teams before the arrival of Tom Brady. Three, Tom Brady's arrival makes them one of the relevant teams for 2020. And for the sake of our purposes, and I think this is a fair assumption, the 10 or 11 relevant teams obviously are subject to change every year. You've got this group, this loose group of 10 or 11 teams that as a coach like Sean Payton, who coaches what I think is one of the relevant teams, looks at and assesses who's really got a shot at winning this thing. Not making it to the playoffs, winning the championship. And I think that's what he means. 10 or 11 teams that have a realistic shot at making it to the Super Bowl, and winning it. Now, that doesn't rule out the possibility of some sort of a fluke, some sort of a slumdog millionaire chain of events where everything falls just right for a team and they defy expectations. But 10 or 11 teams that really have a chance, that cuts against the message of Draft Weekend, which is everybody's got a chance. Come on in. Hope. Hope for sale. Come get your hope. No matter how crappy your team is, you are one draft away from being a team that can control the league. Anyway, Chris, 10 or 11 relevant teams. Let's start there. Do you agree with Peyton's assessment that there are 10 or 11 relevant teams at any given time? Yeah, and, and a given year, yes, I totally agree with that assessment. You know, I, I think you look at it and, you know, of course, hey, we have some teams in the NFL that we know are in a rebuilding phase. Hey, can they make it to the playoffs? Hey, sure, maybe. Like you said, if the stars align and things like that. But you got a handful of teams that are in that process right now of, rebuilding not a true Super Bowl contender not on the Saints level at least to what he's explaining right to say relevant as far as teams were competing against to get to the Super Bowl you know and then even you know twofold there Mike with this conversation you know I think you could even say really there's only 
10, 12 organizations, I think, who really get it on a totality basis of building something and be able to sustain it for a long period of time. But I do totally agree with Sean Payton's assessment. Mike, I mean, hey, we know going into the year we're somewhat close to the teams we think are Super Bowl contenders. Like you said, there's a few teams that kind of rise to the top as the year goes on. But we've also had, I don't know, I know the last two years, we've been able to basically stake out the four or five teams that we thought were capable of winning the Super Bowl come November, basically, that picture has been cleared up for us. So uh, I, I do agree with that assessment. And I think a lot of coaches around football would agree with that assessment as well. And I think like any other industry, the people who are in it and the people who are regularly dealing with the other individuals in a variety of settings and competing against them head to head and understanding when they have specific plays that are put into the game plan, how or whether at all there'll be the appropriate reaction. And you get a sense of who's got their stuff together and who doesn't have their stuff together based on halftime adjustments and how you're tricking or fooling them. You develop over time a sense of who gets it and who doesn't. And newsflash, not every person who elevates to the NFL level of being a head coach deserves to be there, as evidenced by the fact that anywhere from five to eight of them get fired every year, right? So... Right. Through time, Chris, guys like Sean Payton, like any other industry, whatever your industry is, doctor, lawyer, teacher, anything and everything, any workplace you're in, you know the people who are ass kickers who are going to do whatever has to be done to get the job done right and who you can rely upon whenever something must be taken care of. And then that one person that you're like, I don't know how the hell they're still here. That's the same attitude among the 32 coaches, the 32 GMs, the 32 owners. Well, Mike, and, and you know, to what you're saying, I, I totally agree. That is the attitude, I think, especially with, you know, again, the coaches, the organizations who get a clue, got a clue or, or we have seen have been able to stay consistent as far as keeping their organization in a competitive level, level throughout the NFL. But I almost took the quote more as a big general scale thing. Yes, there's 10 or 11 teams in a relevant year. Yes, before the year, we can kind of pin five or six of them for sure. Then there's going to be four or five wildcard teams that pop out of nowhere and we go, wow, they're better than we expected, like the Tennessee Titans for last year. You know, they make the Ryan Tannehill switch. All of a sudden, the stars align. Their team got healthy, and they started kicking butt. But I, I almost took the quote more on the – you know, the big picture of things. And that's really where I thought he was kind of talking about, just that he really only thought there was 10 or 11 organizations in the sport that he was competing with on a year-to-year -year basis to really build and sustain, kind of like I said earlier. Like, you know, again, you know, we've seen some teams like, of course, the New England Patriots and the Baltimore Ravens who can continue to draft and sign free agents. And every year, you know, not that we go, they're going to win the Super Bowl. We go, they could win the Super Bowl this year. Oh, watch out for that team. And that's kind of how I took that comment as well to him basically saying he doesn't think everybody really knows how to build in the NFL the way he does or some of the other elite teams. I think we're saying the same thing. We're just using yeah, different we are. words. My point, my, point is, my point is when you get behind the curtain, you've got 
you've got the classes, you've got the levels, sure. you've got the people yes. who know what they're doing and the people who don't. That's my point. There's just a lot of people in Sean Payton's estimation that don't know what the hell they're doing. That's the implication of his quote. It's not like we got 20 teams that are really good and 11 that can't fight their way out of a paper bag. In his mind, there's 10 or 11 that can get out of the paper bag and the other 20 are just spinning their wheels. Now, look, I know that that if that were the case, it would it would be much more obvious in every year the separation of the best teams from the worst teams. Look, the bad teams still get lucky and find ways to win games. It happens. There are bounces of the ball, bad calls. Stuff happens that will allow a bad team to win a given game or get to the playoffs in a given year. But how often, truly, do you see that team that somehow finagles a seat at the table actually run the table that doesn't belong at the table the teams that we have seen that have gotten in late in the playoffs with one of the last spots have a great quarterback and that great quarterback catches fire in the playoffs and carries them to the top of the mountain and if you have a great quarterback you're more likely to be one of the relevant teams so so let, we, we, we're going to be talking about this throughout the course of the day, not for the full two hours, but we're going to come back to it. We're going to get some of your input via Twitter. Well, Let's Mike, just, just to, I this. just, I was just going to say right. too, like, you know, like you're, what you're trying to say, you're right. It's not going to be year to year. You know, like, let's just take the Jacksonville Jaguars from a year, a few years ago, right? They had lots of years of not being good. Lots of high draft picks. You get lots of money in free agency finally, and then you hit it. And all of a sudden you go, Whoa, where did this team come from? Right. So there could be one of those 10 or 11 relevant teams for that year where Sean Payton's talking about 10 or 11 teams relevant for that season. But when we talk about the big picture of the NFL, I don't know if we can put them in those 10 or 11 organizations that we feel confident right now about building a sustainable winner throughout the NFL. And that's what well, I'm trying to do. I, yeah. I know. That's no, what I mean. Now, I'm just saying, but, but you're right. I'm to your point, but, trying to say every now and then we're going to have a team that's not one of those organizations but because of free agency and their money to spend and they hit it right in the draft because they've been drafting so high that they're going to rise into that seasonal top 10 from time to time. Right. And, and, and I agree with you. And this is why, you know, if, if the Jaguars had somehow picked up Tom Brady in 2018, that's how you move them over to the category of relevant teams. Cause what, what kept ultimately the Jaguars from being relevant for more than 2017, their quarterback, they kept, their arms around Blake Bortles when they had other options available to them and they refused to deviate from Blake Bortles. And really that problem was in 2017 when they picked Leonard Fournette fourth overall instead of Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. And now they have to deal with Watson twice a year, every year for the rest of his career or as long as he's in Houston. So what do we do with the Buccaneers? Do we agree with Peyton's assessment that it's enough to take Tom Brady, put him on the roster, throw in a dash of Gronk, and that shifts them onto that that exclusive list of ten or eleven relevant teams. I don't think there's any doubt about it. You know, this he, you know he was like the the final polish that that team needed. I think we all saw like, oh, maybe they could be one of those teams we were talking about, right? That kind of catch fire and find a way. Whoa, we're talented, and we found a way to win a few close games, and all of a sudden it really you know worked out. But with Tom Brady. You know, that's the guy where, yes, his ability to execute in clutch moments, you know, his ability to be one step ahead of the defense. Of course, the confidence he's going to instill in the organization, the players in the locker room, like we've talked about so many times. 
When a guy like Tom Brady walks through the locker room, everybody stands up tall and their chest is out because they go, damn, we got a chance to win this week because that guy's our quarterback. So I do. I certainly think that Tampa Bay, and of course with some of their aggressive moves they've made, like you said, Gronk and other areas, that has made them one of the 10 or 11 relevant teams this year. You know, yes, one of those teams that we go, yes, relevant. And when we mean relevant, they have a chance to win the Super Bowl, go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. And I think they're in that class right now. And I think, you know, based upon the way we were bouncing it around last night, even within that class of 10 or 11, there's a subclass. There's the five or six that are yes. undisputed, right? Year to year, these teams get it. These Chiefs, teams are in the running. Chiefs, Patriots, Ravens, uh, Seahawks, Eagles right now, I guess I would throw in that court category. And then who else am I missing? The Steelers, I think they're probably one of those teams that deserves to be in that conversation along with the Saints. So that was seven right there, I believe. Well, and you know what? You mentioned seven teams and you left out your buddy's 49ers. Are you saying Kyle Shanahan's not relevant? Well, no, they are relevant. They are relevant. I'm not saying I'm going to put them in the class of those teams right yet where they've been able to sustain consistent credibility in the NFL for a long period of time here. Those teams we just mentioned have been in the playoff conversation, the number one, number two seed, the Super Bowl conversation for like seven or eight years running for the most part. The 49ers, I think, are one of those those teams that, yes, is definitely one of the 10 relevant teams right now in the NFL. For me to put them in the class of those organizations, of course, I believe they're going to be. Yes, Kyle Shanahan's my friend, and I, I'm friends with John Lynch, so I have belief in them. I'm just trying to give those other ones respect to the fact that they've been doing it for a long time, and the 49ers have kind of just jumped up on the scene here recently. We're going to revisit this later, as already mentioned. It's a good talk. But some would say that the Saints are borderline, even though Sean Payton is the one who is setting this standard. Because in the three years before this three-year stretch where they have been on the porch banging on the door and been, been abruptly thrown off, uh, in heartbreaking fashion against the Vikings, against the Rams, against the Vikings again. They had three straight years of not very good to the point where Drew Brees told us back in January when we were at the Super Bowl right. in Miami, he entered the 2017 season thinking, if this continues the way it's been the last three years, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not coming back. 2017 is my last year in football. So, um, I, I still think the Saints are relevant, and I think there are reasons unrelated to Sean Payton, Drew Brees, et cetera, that caused them to be bad for those years, specifically the Bounty Gate witch hunt from 2012 that turned the team upside down and ripped Definitely. Sean Payton away from it for right. a full year. That kept that team from – I mean, think about it. You take you, – if any of these relevant teams, you take the head coach away for an entire year, it's going to take a while to recover from that. So I'll put the Saints in there. We've identified seven. I think we can agree on that. Chiefs, Patriots, Ravens, Seahawks, Eagles, Steelers, Saints. We will revisit this coming up at the top of the next hour, and we will have a much more delicate conversation about the other five or four or three that join those seven. We'll take a break. For now, the Dolphins would very much like to be one of the 10 or 11 relevant teams in the NFL. They took Tua Tonga-Vailoa with the fifth pick in the draft. How much did that pre-draft workout 
that nevertheless violated stay-at-home orders help the Dolphins make the decision to take him? You'll find out straight from the mouth of Coach Brian Flores next right here on PFT Live. All right, Brian Flores, second-year head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Caught up yesterday with Mike Tirico on Lunch Talk Live, and they talked about a variety of things, uh, including the ultimate decision to draft Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Here is some of Brian Flores yesterday with Mike Tirico. At what point in the pre-draft process were you all comfortable with the health questions? Well, we did a lot of work. Our, uh, our medical staff headed up uh, by Kyle Johnson, our head trainer, um, you know, Dr. Uribe. I mean, our, our, our entire staff, they did, they did a wonderful job um, uh, kind of getting us the information and, uh, on really all the players. Uh, we felt comfortable. Um, we got comfortable, um, you know, I would say in the last couple weeks here. Um, you know, obviously, the, he's a very talented player, um, you know, and he's got a lot of the qualities we're looking for in the quarterback position. He's a leader. Um, he's accurate. Um, he's tough. So um, we felt very comfortable. Um, it was probably a couple of weeks ago. And we, we... How important was that workout video? I mean, it was important. Um, I remember it came out. Uh, you know, Chris and I were, uh, were actually, uh, he sent it to me, and we, I would say we were pretty much watching it at the same time. Uh, got on the phone right after that and said, you know, look pretty good. Um, so um, it just kind of uh, reinforced and confirmed some of the things that, um, you know, our doctors had had, uh, um, had, had mentioned to us. So, um, we, I mean, it was important. It was good to see it, you know. You know he looked good in the, in the tape, but obviously, you know, that's nine minutes. That's very different from having a two-and-a-half-hour two right. practice or playing in a game. So, um, but I thought, he, I thought he, he looks good for where he was and, know where he was where he was when he initially got the injury and where he was um, at that point sure yeah you, you take a quarterback that high and you hope that there's going to be years to plan for him so as you go into this uncertain year what's your plan for Tua Tonga Vailoa well the plan you know like all the rookies I mean these these guys they've got so much to learn it's it's such a different game they got to learn new terminology they got to get to know uh, all the other players on the team uh, they got to get there. No, their fellow rookies. Uh, you know, there's, you know, what's the name of the equipment guy? Who was in? You know, what's our trainer's name? What's our strength coach's name? Uh, so there's a lot that goes into, you know, that that first year uh, as a rookie, as well as uh, the, um, as well as obviously going out there and playing. Uh, so we try to take it one day at a time. I think you know nothing's going to happen all at once. You know, I don't think you just jump in there and you're ready to go. Um, you got to do a good job of meetings. Um, when we get to that, you know, which right now we'll be in virtual meetings uh, when we start with the rookies on May 11th. Um, so, you know, once we get into those meetings and, you know, at some point, hopefully uh, we get everyone back in the building, then it's, you know, we'll meet, we'll walk through, we'll practice. And, uh, you know, the rookies, as well as everyone on our team, um, you know, just doing things on their own from a, a training standpoint, from a, um, a film study standpoint, um, you put all of those things together and, you know, the results, you know, they, they, they take care of themselves on the field. That's kind of the, you know, what we what we tell the players. Let's just take it one day at a time, try to improve, and uh, results take care of themselves. Brian Flores with Mike Tirico yesterday on Lunch Talk Live. And, Chris, I want to go back to the workout video because 
you weren't nearly as impressed as the Dolphins apparently were by what Tua Tonga-Vailoa did. What gives there? Reconcile that for me. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, one, I wasn't impressed because I didn't sit there and go, oh, my gosh, whoa, he's so quick. Whoa, look at the ball explode out of his hands. You know, there was a bunch of wobbly throws, things like that. That's where I looked at it. Yes. It doesn't matter, Mike. This is who they wanted to take. They just wanted to see a little glimmer of hope to justify that they wanted this guy. You know, I, we had heard, you know, back when the season, the regular season ended, that they loved Tua. We know that. Now, it sounded like the owner loved Joe Burrow as well, and that conversation was going on. But if it wasn't going to be Burrow, I think Miami had their eyes set on Tua all along. They obviously didn't love the prospect of what Justin Herbert could bring to their football team. And Brian Flores coming from New England, which has a lot of carryover from Alabama. I'm sure he likes a lot of those qualities that Tua can bring from Alabama to his football team. So, yeah, I was not sitting there overly impressed from that workout. Nor, you know, like like Brian Flores says, it's just a nine-minute workout video. It doesn't really do much for you. But it does when you're a team that's going, ooh, we really want to take a franchise quarterback, but we don't like this Justin Herbert kid. What do we do from here? We really like this Tua guy, but there's these injuries. Oh, look, there he is. See, he throws. He can move. Yeah, okay, good. Doctors, he's good. Okay, he's good. Guys, we're drafting him at number five. I mean, that's all they needed. They just needed a little, a little nudge to show that he was healthy. And, and, and Armando Salgaro released the media report that the Dolphins doctors are fine. You know, that was all a process of Miami trying to make the fan base and the organization and everybody feel warm and cozy about the, the prospects of dropping Tua. Confirmation bias is the dynamic that you are illustrating in your comments there, Chris, because a lot of this happens in the draft process. You come into it as an evaluator with an idea of what you want to do. So what do you do? You look for things that support what you already want to do, and you find a way to minimize, downplay, or flat-out ignore, if necessary, anything out there that cuts against what it is that you already want to do. Whether you already like a guy, whether you already don't like a guy, this is human nature, and I think the best organizations, and I'm not saying the Dolphins got it wrong here, but the best organizations know how to rise above confirmation bias and continue to be objective and understand up until the very end, they're not locked into a guy until they put the name on the card. And they did try to move up to get Joe Burrow. We don't know what they offered. And I was trying to think, Chris, of a circumstance where it would get out what the Dolphins ultimately put on the table. The Dolphins have no reason to undermine their faith in Tua Tonga-Vailoa right now. So they've got no reason to leak or admit what they offered, right? The, the Bengals have no reason to say what we could have had other than Joe Burrow. I think the only way it would ever come out is if Burrow is just spectacular, out of the gates, clear-cut future Hall of Famer, Tua ends up stinking, Maybe the Bengals at that point will be tempted to say, hey, look, here's what we turned down. We knew what we were doing in not giving anyone else the chance to get Joe Burrow. We knew to say no. Can you believe we said no to this? Well, we knew to tell Miami, sorry, you can stick it, even though they offered us all that stuff to come get Joe Burrow. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're probably right. You probably will hear it then. Well, it is just justify that 
yeah, for Miami to be able to sell to their fan base, hey, we tried to get this guy. We knew he was going to be special. We offered it to him. Uh, but, hey, this Tua conversation is very interesting. I'm really interested to see where it goes this year, how healthy he is, ready to go. Again, I really like the person. It's my least favorite thing of the year doing draft evals because it's not about the kid. It's, it's truly just, you know, business here. We're just talking about what he's done on the field. And I know he has a lot of great attributes. I do. And there's things I like about his game. But I'm also concerned that he's being overdrafted, as you know, one, because I think he's getting the credit for which is the Alabama machine, right? That, hey, Alabama's offense was – it was really good once he got hurt. They, they threw up like almost 40 points against Auburn. They blew out Michigan, who had one of the better defenses of football. You know, so I feel like we're in this era of doing this. And I think really with Tua, uh, I worry about that too. That was my concern. I wasn't blown away by what I saw in the film, Mike. And the other thing that always jumps out to me, where I do feel like he's being overdrafted on intangibles too much. You know, when I hear Brian Flores and other people talk about Tua, it, the first things that are out of his mouth, they're, they're usually not about what he does on the field. It's always, he's a great leader. He's a winner. He's tough. I don't like hearing that when it's my top five pick. I want to hear he's got a rocket right arm. He can move around the pocket and make people miss and extend plays. And, you know, that to me, when you start drafting on intangibles, is a little risky is my point. And that's where I just feel like it's a little risky with Tua. We'll see where it goes. If I'm wrong, you know I'll say I'm wrong when that time comes. And, and you don't have to make apologies for making an objective assessment. Well, of whether I feel or not bad a guy should sometimes. be a top five pick. Why? But why? That's what the, the sport is premised upon: identifying the best players and putting them on the field, and putting the players who aren't the best players on the bench, or passing over them in round one or round two, and drafting them in round three. I mean, for a guy who was a third round pick who thinks he should have been a first round pick. You should be more of a jerk when it comes to dropping guys down the board because it happened to you. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like in our business sometimes when you say something about the, the player professionally, they think it carries over to the personal life too. And they think, oh, he doesn't like him. He hates that guy. And I want to be like, no. I, so I, I am delicate about that. But, yes, my football evaluation, to your point, yes, I'll stand, I'll stand strong with that. And that is what I believe. The reality is no amount of caveats or tiptoes by you is going to change the fact that if you say something that someone doesn't like on merit about a player without yeah. crossing into the line of the personal, they're still going to think you hate him. You don't like him. So, Chris, let's end with this. Why do you hate Tua Tonga-Vailoa? <laughs> I, I don't hate him. I don't. Sorry. He's a good guy. All right. I just have my doubts Let's, about him as a football player. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was trying to make a point there. With yeah, thank you, Let's thank take a you. break. When that. we return, we'll play a game of Would You Rather right here on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. Jerry Jones, Cowboys owner and general manager, having someone, and that's his daughter, Charlotte Jones Anderson, hold the cell phone for him. That's probably a granddaughter holding the cell phone for Jerry Jones during the draft itself. That's a pretty sweet gig if you can get it, holding Jerry Jones' cell phone, not to be confused with cleaning Jerry Jones' glasses, which we saw <laughs> during a game eight years ago. So let's start this game of Would You Rather, Chris, with a very simple question. Would you rather be the person holding Jerry Jones' cell phone during the draft or the person cleaning his glasses during a game? Uh, I think I'd rather clean his glasses because, you know, you clean the glasses, it's just a quick quick wipe off, and then you give them back. Like, 
Hey, the cell phone, you got to sit there, hold it. You don't know how long that conversation is going to last. Your arm's going to get tired. That one, uh, I'd rather be the glasses cleaner there. I'll do whatever he wants. He gives me a room in that boat. I'll come down there and hold the phone and clean the glasses. Go ahead. See, that's the key. I'm leaning toward holding the cell phone because it happened on the yacht. I mean, I've been to a football (laughs) stadium. That's where the glasses are cleaned. I don't care about that. Put me on the yacht, and I'll hold the cell phone. The only problem is... Yeah, and, and you know, you hold the cell phone long enough while he's talking. You, you may, you know, you may get a little food uh, flying your direction, and we're, you know, you're within the six foot buffer zone. I don't know that that's the most hygienic approach right now, but you're on the boat, and the boat, by all indications, uh, all images we've seen, all stories I've heard, is absolutely positively spectacular. So, uh, if cell phone duty includes being on the boat, give me the holding the cell phone duty any day of the week. <laughs> All right. Uh, more importantly, if you're Jordan Love, and now we're moving on to the serious would you rather topics, would you rather have Aaron Rodgers take you under his wing for two years, uh, or would you rather he force his way out of town sooner rather than later so you can play? I'm going to go with option one, and that Aaron Rodgers takes me under his wing for two years. You know, you know. First off, it's not easy coming in the NFL as a rookie. You know, it's a whirlwind. As we heard Brian Flores says, there's so much to learn. You're moving your whole life. You're trying to meet all these new people and, you know, show the organization that you're worth a number one pick or whatever it may be. And it is good to have somebody there to show you how it's done. You know, even in my, you know, when I was young, we had Brad Johnson there. It was great. I got to follow Brad's lead and, okay, this is what a pro does daily. This is his routine. And then I can make my own routine off of it. So, I think there's a lot of great from that, especially learning from a great one like Rodgers. Plus, Jordan Love, if you talk to anybody or watch the film, is very raw. I think if he got thrown out there right now this year, it could be bad to where it could overwhelm you, know, overwhelm you with badness to where it could ruin his career. He needs this time to, to, to sit back and learn a little football and uh, grow his knowledge of the game. I just have a hard time envisioning Aaron Rodgers taking any other quarterback who aspires to replace him eventually or sooner under his wing. I just don't see that. And look, the the only the only benefit, and I think we mentioned this yesterday, is that if he does take Jordan Love under his wing and teaches Jordan Love, uh, Jordan Love how to get ready sooner rather than later, that enhances the timetable for Rodgers to get out of there. He's doing himself a favor. If he's decided he wants out, he helps get Jordan Love ready so he can get out. And the sooner Love is ready, the sooner he gets out. But I just, especially after his own experience, I mean, you could say that because Brett Favre treated him like crap, that Aaron Rodgers is going to do it differently. I don't think that's the way the human animal works. Otherwise, hazing would end at some point, right? Hazing in any organization happens because people who were new got hazed. So then when someone new comes along, they haze them. And it's a cycle that never ends. So uh, I, I think that, that Aaron is going to be more inclined to treat Jordan Love the way Aaron got treated back in 2005. All right, if you're Tua Tonga-Vailoa, would you rather have Andrew Luck's career great but short, or Alex Smith's career up and down but 15 years in and still going? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I think I'd rather have Andrew Luck's career. You know, uh, both made a a boatload of of money, so we know that. So I'm not going to really get into that. They both can live comfortable no matter what they do. Uh, But I look at it like this. I mean, first off, Andrew Luck came into the NFL – 
carrying a team on his back almost from the get-go. And what did they do? Go to the playoffs for four years in a row? Yeah, albeit it might be short there for uh, Andrew Luck and company. I just guess I would look at it where I would rather be have a short career where I was talked about in a way where I was one of the best quarterbacks in football and in the top five, you know, pretty much regularly through my career when I was healthy as compared to Alex Smith, who's, you know, I think consistently kind of been in the middle of the league as far as starting quarterbacks are concerned. Well, for me, the bottom line is quite often the bottom line. Andrew Luck made $97.1 million. Alex Smith is at $161 million and counting. With that big of a spread, give me the big mamu. I'll take Alex <laughs> Smith, and I'll take that money. Now, 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 uh, the, the ESPN, uh, I don't know what it is, E60, I, I get all those, 30 for 30, I don't know what the, 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 you know, the tagline of it is, but yeah, right. the, the documentary focusing on Alex Smith's horrific leg injury and recovery is coming up. I may feel differently after I see that because he almost died from it, so if that's part of it, I don't know that I want it, but if we're just looking at football career and we're looking at earnings, I'm taking the Alex Smith $160 million over the, uh, the Andrew Luck $97 million. All right. Uh, is that it? Are we done? Do we have any more? I think that may be it. All right. We're already over time, so we need to take a break. The odds are out for offensive, and there was more there, and now it's gone. Sometimes things just disappear right. off of the screen. It's just gone. There was another one that I liked. There and was another gone, one there. I can't remember what it was. All right. The odds are out for offensive and defensive rookies of the year. Who does Vegas like? We'll tell you next, and we'll tell you who we like based upon the odds. More PFT Live right after this. Oh, the billboards are up for Joe Burrow. It's either Burrow with the O-H or Burrow with the alternative LSU spelling, the spelling that he had on the back of his jersey for senior night, Burrow, B-U-R-R-E-A-U-X. Either way, however you spell it, you can put his name on a ticket to uh, the question of whether or not he'll be the offensive rookie. The year DraftKings has the odds out. Joe Burrow is the favorite at plus 215, which means if you bet $100, you make 215 if Joe Burrow is the offensive rookie of the year. But, Chris, there are some intriguing names on here and some intriguing numbers. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the first-round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs at number 32, the first running back off the board, plus 550. I like his odds better than Burrow because he's stepping onto an established team. He's stepping into a position of need. He's going to have the opportunity to touch the ball, run it, catch it, gain yards, score touchdowns, be part of a team that is high profile. The media members who vote on Rookie of the Year are going to be well aware of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire all year long. Joe Burrow may not have enough help around him to make kind of the impact necessary to win Rookie of the Year. I'd go with Edwards-Hilaire over Burrow at the plus 550, which means you win $550 if you bet 100. Yeah, well, I, I certainly think, you know, Burrow, the Bengals, could be one of those teams that exceed expectations as far as next year is concerned, definitely. He is going to have some talent around him. You know, A.J. Green should be back, as we know it right now, and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon. And I thought one of the secret great picks of uh, day two was the Bengals taking T. Higgins with the first draft pick of round two. I think he'll be a great compliment with Joe Burrow. But, Mike, I- I'm with you generally there. You know, it's about the support system and what's there around you to help you to help accentuate your personal talents. 
Clyde Edwards Hilaire would certainly be the first guy that jumps out to me. The game's just going to be wide open for him. And he's probably the most dangerous player, him or C.D. Lamb, in wide open spaces in the draft with the ball in their hands. So it really suits him that way, Mike. And I'll say, I think after him, there's two more running backs that I think I would throw right in the conversation. I mean, Jonathan Taylor behind the blue wall in Indianapolis, watch out. That'll be scary. I mean, his power and speed, he's a home run hitter. And then J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore. I don't know if he'll get enough carries, but again, man, Lamar Jackson around the edge and then J.K. Dobbins taking it 70 yards up the middle. He's another home run hitter. So the running backs, I do think, are set up very well to make a run at this thing. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And another one that stood out to me, C.D. Lamb, the Cowboys receiver, 17th overall pick, plus 1,800. He's got the chance to have, and I don't want to say a Randy Moss impact because there is no uh, a real comparison to Randy Moss, and that disrespects the great year he had in 1998. But you got the quarterback, the offensive line, the running back, and you got a starting receiver in Amari Cooper who's going to be commanding double teams. There's an opportunity for Lamb to come in and explode with the Cowboys. And I'm not saying he will, but we shouldn't be surprised if he does. One other one, too, Chris, and this isn't on the board. Uh, There are two Steelers skill position rookies, Chase Claypool and Anthony McFarlane Jr., receiver and running back, respectively. They are both plus 10,000, plus 10,000. Bet 100, they get it, you get 10,000 for either guy. I'm not sure which one I like, but the idea that you've got this Steelers team with Ben Roethlisberger coming back would it shock someone if one of these two guys just explodes as a rookie with Ben Roethlisberger there, with Juju Smith-Schuster there? It's not going to surprise me at all. No, it will not surprise me either. You know, anybody that listens to my podcast, Chris Sims Unbuttoned, would know these are two of my, like, hidden gems. I love them. I call it Robin Hood, right? That's what I call these type of guys where, you know, we take it from the rich or we take it from the rich and give it to the poor. I think those were two players that – just weren't talked about enough in the draft process. You know, I saw Chase Claypool in person a lot. I've been around a lot of high-end receivers in my life. Chase Claypool is Brandon Marshall, Vincent Jackson. And I think he has a chance to go in there and truly be like a number one in Pittsburgh. He's got more physical, raw talent than Juju Smith-Schuster. And I do think he fits the way they want to play in Pittsburgh. And with Big Ben throwing, you know, his ability to throw a great deep ball and back shoulders and all like that. It fits Chase Claypool. So I'm with you, Mike. And Anthony McFarland, you, you open up the game from him. He's another guy. He could take it 80 to the house. And we know they have running back issues in, in Pittsburgh. So I think those are two really good calls for you uh, by, by two guys flying under the radar here. Put 100 on it. Put your money where your mouth is there, Bobby Big Chest. Let's go. No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> uh, I should, but I won't. And it's always good to have the Robin Hood approach robbing from the rich and giving to the poor and not the Dennis Moore approach if you're familiar with Dennis Moore do you know who Dennis Moore is Chris I, I don't know tell me Den, 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 Dennis Moore robbed from the poor and gave to the rich stupid word that rhymes with rich that's a Monty Python bit from years ago which our friends in the UK and Ireland will immensely enjoy all right let's take a break when we return where will Cam Newton end up? The odds makers have their say on that one as well. More PFT Live right after this. Sometimes Vegas knows something that we don't. Sometimes Vegas is just flat out clueless. FanDuel Sportsbook has updated odds 
for Cam Newton's next team. And the Patriots are the favorites at minus 190, a.k.a. bet 190 to win 100. They're the only team in negative territory. The Jaguars plus 300, bet 100, win 300. Steelers plus 750. Broncos plus 1,000. Bears plus 1,100. Raiders plus 1,500. Washington plus 1,500. Chris, of all those, you know which one I would take? I would take the Steelers. You know why? I, I, why? I, I, I'm not convinced Ben Roethlisberger has not entered the territory of his, of his yeah. life cycle where his body is going to continue to break down. And I, my, uh, I, think yeah. that it, I think that at this point, at this point, your best play if you're Cam Newton is to wait. And of all the quarterbacks out there, the, the one most likely to get injured and create the opening and the need for Cam Newton is Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, you know, listen, Mike, I think it's a good thought. I, I certainly, as I sat here and looked at these teams, you know, if you're Pittsburgh, you'd love to have Cam Newton as that insurance policy, certainly. But, you know, if you do bring him there, I, I don't think that's going to make Big Ben feel, you know, very happy. It's going to, it could cause issues, which then could ca- disrupt your football team and, you know, cause us to look at them, you know, in a dysfunctional way, you know, again, like the Antonio Antonio Brown situation, you know, I, listen, I still want to sit here and go, why did the bears not sign him to begin with? I, I still don't understand that. If I was the bears, I would have called Cam Newton and, and said, Hey, we'd like you to be the quarterback. I still look at Jacksonville. I'm going to take Jacksonville. I don't think new England, first off, like you said, Vegas can be wrong. You know, they had Tua going to the Detroit Lions, so they, they don't know everything, all right? That was stupid on Vegas's part, and I think it's stupid to say he'll go to New England. New England's big into framing their football team. I think if they wanted to do Cam Newton, they would have drafted players that fit Cam Newton's style of play, and, and I just don't see that happening. So I'm going to say Jacksonville is my leader in the clubhouse here. And, and, you know, there was something up with this possibility that the Jaguars would have taken Tua if they had the chance, even though we've been led to believe they're all in with Gardner Minshew the second. So let's see. Let's see what happens with Minshew. Maybe Newton is a guy that they have in their back pocket. We're going to take a break. More talk about the 10 or 11 relevant teams when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.